We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is produced, the Wajak Noongar people, and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. How are you doing, Courtney? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Excellent. Nice sunny day here in Perth. Yeah, and it's winter. Yeah, it was and pretty it's cold. Sunny. Yeah, 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 well, I mean... This morning, anyway. This morning was cold. I'm sure yeah. it would be lovely in the middle of the day. <laughs> yep, yep. We seem to get rain on a, a few days and very heavy and then, you know, nice, nice crisp, yeah. sunny days in between. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's like summer for other people, though. Yeah, we've, I speak, like to, speak to family in the UK and they sort of say it's 20 degrees here. It's a lovely summer day and I'm yeah, like no, 20 degrees I would in be in like, as well. Yeah, jackets and scarves <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but we're not here to talk about the weather. No. Um, we're here to talk about assist, Associate Professor Jennifer Stone. And her work in yeah. um, breast cancer. That's right. Obviously, it's a very important topic. Um, and I think breast cancer... There's, there's a lot of health promotion and a lot of information out there, particularly mm. here in Australia, because it is one of the um, most well-known yeah. uh, cancers. Prevalent most well. prevalent as well. Most prevalent, yeah. Yep. Um, and also has a quite a high mortality rate. I think so. I think. Certain types in particular. Yeah, it has a lot of bad yeah. outcomes. That's, the, that's yeah. the big one. Yeah. And, and it seems quite treatable if it's detected. Yes. You know, if yes. people there's find it early enough. There's lots of opportunity with breast yeah. cancer to stop it. Um, yeah. So Jennifer's involved in looking at a range of things, as you'll hear in the conversation, but particularly the genetic component of breast cancer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which we go into in a, quite a bit of detail. And she has a bit of an interesting story about her journey in academia and coming from Canada and whatnot. And yeah. Where she's exactly. been. So, yeah, we'll let her tell you a bit more about that. So I'd like to welcome Associate Professor Jennifer Stone to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, yeah, see, the way we usually do this, just to, for people who, who don't know you, um, we usually get guests just to give us a bit of background about their education and kind of their journey through to where they are and then kind of what they're currently doing. Well, you might be able to tell from my accent, I'm Canadian. Mm -hmm. So I started out at uh, the University of Guelph, thought I wanted to be an engineer. Um, mm -hmm but then quickly discovered what engineering was and decided <laughs> I preferred <laughs> the maths and statistics. Yep. And so I got a master's degree in statistics and started, got my first job at the Ontario Cancer Institute in Toronto, uh, working with um, Norman Boyd, who's the father of mammographic density research, mm. unbeknownst to me. I had no idea at that time that he was sort of directing the rest of my career. Mm. And after three years with Norman, uh, he suggested I consider a PhD. And I said, oh, well, how about Australia? Because um, I'd previously come to Australia for about a month to work with Professor John Hopper at the University of Melbourne to do this twin analysis, which ended up published in the New England Journal of Medicine, which again, oh, wow. at the time, I had no idea the severity <laughs> yeah. of that Always publication. Yeah. It was, uh, How significant it that was, is. <laughs> yeah, and so, um, yeah, then I went to University of Melbourne, got my PhD. I was there um, for about 10 years before moving to Perth just about eight years ago here. So. And mm -hmm. what brought you to Perth? So my husband, um, yeah, okay. yeah he, I feel like you've been paid to say that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it was funny because um, I'm, I'm a National Breast Cancer Foundation 
um, fellow. Uh, I was at the time as well, so I'm quite transferable. Uh, his job, of course, he's an accountant and moved us across. Um, and I was like, well, what am I going to do in Perth? And mm. um, turns out there's quite a bit for me to do in, in University mm. of Western Australia. Has been, and it's been tremendous. Um, it's been mm. a really good uh, experience. I think word got out that I was arriving, you know, and then so all the research community and the clinician, clinical community also um, just sort of embraced my arrival. And mm. we initially I met up with you know some key stakeholders, and we. Um, established this program of research and we've just been working through it okay. so it's it's really exciting stuff and, and so where does it, where do you sit these days and what do you do so i'm currently head of the genetic epidemiology group here within the school of population and global health um yeah i lead, lead a team of genetic epidemiologists epidemiologists statisticians um a handful of students and um, yeah, all working across various different ra- um, diseases, everything from breast cancer to sleep apnea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and you guys recently came to the school fairly recently, like in the last year or so, right? Yeah, we moved just before COVID. Yeah. Uh, Great timing. Yes. <laughs> um, we were uh, formerly the Center of Genetic Origins of Health and Disease. And uh, we made the strategic decision to move from the School of Biomedical Science. Uh, when we were in that center, it was a lot more molecular, the sort of stuff that was doing, but the, what was left of the group, we were really more involved in the epidemiology and the data analysis. And um, yeah, no, we, yeah. Don't, we don't pipette anything. Okay. <laughs> so. So, so you guys primarily are uh, using linked data, administrative data and... Lots of linked data, lots of health data, but also um, we, um, you know, I'm responsible for the TIBS breast density study, which is transillumination breast spectroscopy. Mm -hmm. Uh, We collaborate quite a bit with the RAIN study, for instance, and uh, so to generate actual participant data, Mm -hmm. uh, obtain the measurements um, of women, their mothers, grandmothers, through the the RAIN study. We did a a crowd research uh, recruitment process through UWA crowd research, which was fantastic. Uh, yeah, it was it was amazing the impact I guess of social media, where one woman's response she did a uh, something on Facebook say, "Hey, look, this is what I just did today. Everyone should you know sign up." And overnight, we mm. got 164 women. Oh wow! Uh, contact really us and, and want to to be a part of the study. So yeah, we do do. Uh, actual recruitment of real life people, not just yeah. <laughs> crunching okay. numbers. Yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. So I don't know a lot about genetic epidemiology, um, and I've done it about you, Courtney. But no. So what, no, not at all. What, what is it exactly, and, and how, how do we use it to understand dis- illnesses and diseases? Well, epidemiology, of course, is the sort of study of disease, very simply. Uh, yeah. Genetic epidemiology is the uh, using genetics to find associations with disease. So you have sort of the simplest case, I guess, where you ha- are found to have a genetic mutation and you have the associated disease. Mm-hmm. There are other instances where you have a genetic mutation and you have an increased risk of developing the disease, but not necessarily uh, Mendelian yes or no. Uh, then you have several examples where you could have a combination of multiple hundreds of uh, genetic variants that combined contribute to an increased likelihood of developing a disease, and that's when you start talking about things like polygenic risk scores. So, um, 
And then, of course, you have combinations of genetic variants that interact with environments and lifestyle factors and things like that. And that increases your likelihood of disease. And then, of course, you get a whole branch of like epigenetics, which are genes <laughs> that are switched on, switched off, depending on, again, um, their environment. So that's just yeah. sort of a, a, okay. a very brief so, breakdown of, of the sort of where I won't go into the genomics and the yeah, no, other omics fine. and stuff. Yeah. But yeah. The, yeah. So the, the epi epigenetics side of things, is that this, where people talk about nature versus nurture? There's some nurture things which can trigger certain things to happen Yeah, I people. thought that epigenetics was just basically genetic research. I thought it was just like the general term for it. So oh, obviously no. I'm wrong. Yeah. yeah, no, it's a whole other branch <laughs> yeah, of, uh, okay. yeah. uh, of research, which is not my expertise okay. at all. Yeah, no, that's, that's fine. fine. Yeah. I think that there is that sort of area where, uh, yeah, it's, it's how um, the gene sort of is turned on and off. Okay. Yeah, either methylation okay. or uh, a whole bunch of other ways that it proteins and yes. stuff. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah okay. okay. Interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. really fascinating. And and what what are some you know brief examples of diseases that we currently use genetic epidemiology to to investigate and find well, out all, more about? All sorts, but um, yeah. my, like all of them. Right? Yes. Except for mm. maybe oh no. Don't know about I, infections, but I, I suspect that there's some that, that are probably focused on more at the moment than others, right? Well, obviously the ones that have been shown to be heritable, right? Mm. So where mm -hmm. you have, you can do um, before we were, you know, uh, genotyping the genome and stuff. We we were still could do twin studies and use relatedness to establish whether or not there was a heritable component or mm -hmm. a familial component. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, a, a lot of cancers are. Um, highly heritable mm -hmm. and like I said my research in particular deals with breast cancer which mm -hmm. um, there's the common BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes that would be an example of where you have the gene uh, if you're found to have the be carrying a mutation then you'd be at increased risk of, um, of the disease mm -hmm. uh, similarly uh, but thankfully the BRCA1 and BRCA2 um, genetic mutations are quite rare and that's why there, a lot of the research is also looking at hundreds of these other quite common genetic mutations that each individually don't are not you know strongly associated or increase or explain a lot of the variation in, in breast cancer but in combination you could potentially uh, yeah identify women who are at increased risk mm -hmm. and that's sort of where uh, that's where I come in so the idea mm -hmm. is to identify women at increased risk, either due to genetics or their environmental factors mm -hmm. or breast density, more particularly, which is a lot of the work I do, um, to, yeah, to, get to, I guess, personalize and tailor their sort of screening approach mm -hmm. so that you can find um, the cancer sooner and thereby mm -hmm. reduce mortality significantly. Okay. So, um, you know, I, I feel like the, the genetic component of breast cancer, I know that I've heard it in like health promotion kind of stuff for general public. And I feel like it's one of the few areas where genetics is, is known by the general population to, to influence cancer. But I have no idea about breast density. That's, so I've heard the genetics, but I haven't heard the breast density bit. So how does that influence breast cancer? So <laughs> breast density is the... Are you familiar with a mammogram? Yes. So a mammogram is like, like, squish your boobs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it is. 
Uh, so it's an x-ray of the breast. Yeah. And when you look at an x-ray, you've got white areas and, and dark areas. Mm -hmm. The white areas represent the fibroglandular tissue, the epithelial and stromal tissue, as opposed to um, the dark areas, it's, it's fatty tissue. So it's the opposite of fatty tissue. And the more white areas you have in a, in a mammogram, um, the more for your age, the higher risk you are at developing breast cancer. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if you do it, uh, so this bright, this, this fibroglandular tissue increases the propensity for tumors to develop, but also because tumors are white, mm -hmm. dense tissue is white. It also makes it very hard to detect them. Right. So it's a bit of a double whammy. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. So okay. white is bad. <laughs> kind <But> of. <laughs> however, white is bad, but um, uh, all women have breast density of some sort. Okay, it's incredibly common, and it decreases with age. So that might mm. seem a bit counterintuitive because, of course, mm. your breast cancer risk increases with age, mm -hmm. and that's because I guess the true risk factor is your breast density for your age. Mm. Okay. So genetically, so we know that breast density is highly heritable. Mm -hmm. So again, when the breasts develop in puberty, um, women will start out with very um, different levels of breast density, even at you know very early ages. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the majority of women will have very dense breasts. And then as you go along, uh, depending on your number of kids you have and other hormonal exposures, mm -hmm. um, breastfeeding, all these factors that have been shown to um, be associated with breast density are also associated, they're also risk factors for breast cancer. So it's a, a sort of like a mediating factor. Mm. Um, so yeah, the, the density decreases over time. Mm -hmm. it's, also, but it's also highly correlated over time. So if you have dense breasts for your age at 50, chances are you're gonna have dense breasts for your age at 65, right. mm -hmm. okay? But um, recognizing that if a woman was to go to have a mammogram at age 40 and um, be told that she has dense breasts, she's joining a very large club. Lots of 40-year-old <laughs> women will have dense breasts. And yeah. that's one of the contributing reasons for why um, mammography is not necessarily recommended for women. It's free, all, uh, free uh, um, mammography is free for all women in Australia aged 40 and above through the right. breast screen programs. Mm -hmm. You're not actively targeted until you turn age 50. Okay. Um, so and that's done through the electoral roll and they can identify, you know, on your 50th birthday, you'll get a letter in the mail saying, come yeah. get a mammogram. Yeah. Happy birthday. Thanks, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. So yes, um, it's very, very common. It's one of those factors where, yes, okay, every, lots of women have breast density. Not all women are going to get breast cancer. Yeah. Uh, it's just about recognizing your risk factors. Mm. Uh, all, that's when you're taking into account all these other risk factors, you, either your, you know, your polygenic risk scores, um, your family history, and then trying to identify, well, what's the best screening recommendation for women with your mm. risk factors. Yeah, because it's not uncommon for women under those ages to, to get breast cancer if they're unlucky. Isn't yes, it? Yeah. It, it, unfortunately, yeah. women under the age of 50, lots yeah. of them do get breast cancer. Yeah. Um, the, the idea, I guess, the challenge is to balance out uh, at what age do you start screening all women mm. to right. find those those, those few, few women. Yeah. Who are, yeah, and yeah. so that's it's definitely a, a delicate yeah delicate balancing act yeah obviously. and there's currently no screening recommendations for women with dense breasts hmm. so um if you can lots of women into the some of the consumer advocacy work that i've done women generally want to know about their breast density um but yet from a, a health professional perspective it's quite difficult to talk to them about their risk mm. factors because well there's no um evidence-based 
screening recommendations right. for women That's with tough. dense breasts. It is. So, so the advice seems to be to individuals to check their breast density for changes, right? Absolutely. You know? Be yeah. breast aware. So right. know... Um, yeah, be familiar with your breasts. Yeah. Lots of women have very lumpy breasts and just to be um, yeah, aware of any changes, just like you said. Mm. Um, you cannot tell your breast density by feel or touch, however. It mm. is a, it's a mammographic phenomenon. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, just because your, your breasts feel hard or soft, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's not actually indicative of what your breast density is. Mm. That seems to be the theme with cancers generally, like skin cancer, testicular mm. cancer, is about changes. So you're told to sort of check for changes in Absolutely. things, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I've heard uh, a little bit about breast cancer. It's one of those things that touches almost everyone in society in some way. We all know somebody, whether it's family or friends or whatnot, who's experienced it. Mm -hmm. um, you hear about different types of cancer and some being particularly aggressive and whatnot. What can you tell us about those differences? So there's, yes, there's different subtypes um, uh, that like ER positive, ER negative, her two, a triple negative, and as you said, some are more aggressive than others. Um, the literature describing the association between breast density and those subtypes is a, is a bit inconclusive and basically saying that breast density is a risk factor for all of those subtypes. Right. So there's not doesn't seem to be any kind of um, definitive as evidence about causing one or any other. However, uh, breast density is strongly associated with developing an interval cancer. So that's a cancer that uh, was not detected at screening. So mm -hmm. all women age 50 to 74 in Australia are recommended to get biennial screening. Um, that's every two years. Mm -hmm. uh, women with family history are, con are recommended to get annual screening. Mm -hmm. However, if um, you, a woman attends that screening mammogram and then gets the all clear, your routine results letter says, yeah, no, you, no pre presence of breast cancer. But then within the 24 months before your next due for your mammogram, whether even a woman finds something, um, either by touch or feel or mm -hmm. some other incidental test that she's had, then that's called an interval cancer. Right. Is that the same as pre-cancer? No, it no. is a full-blown cancer. Yeah. Okay. It just it's wasn't just detected. In it, the, it was yeah. detected in the interval and it wasn't detected at screening. Yep. Now, unsurprisingly, a lot of those that are interval cancers that didn't get detected were in women who had dense breast because there's two ways. It could have been cancer was there and it wasn't seen. Mm -hmm. or it's a really fast growing that suddenly emerged just after after a mammogram mm. so both are referred to as interval cancers so mm. women who have very dense breasts are much 17 times more likely to develop an interval cancer and because those interval cancers are uh, not detected and they're sort of later staged and sometimes also have more aggressive tumor biology um, they have much poorer prognosis right okay so a lot of my research is trying to identify um women who are at increased risk of developing an interval cancer mm. and that's because of the the sensitivity and the specificity of the the screening that we currently have absolutely right. mm. the sensitivity of mammography is usually above 90 percent mm -hmm. in women with dense breasts it's around 60 wow right so okay. breast screen wa is the only state currently that notifies women if they have dense breasts yeah. um just informing them about the reduced sensitivity of mammography. Mm. Okay, and so screening is is a process is not ex exactly diagnosing, is it? But, so screening would sort of indicate that there's an issue, and then would you then go for a biopsy or, or something else? That's a very interesting question. Um, <laughs> as I said before, there's yeah. currently no 
evidence-based screening recommendations for women with dense okay. breasts. Okay, so yeah. right now the recommendations are to consult your GP. Right. Okay, so to engage a conversation with your GP, yeah. uh, have a clinical breast examination, uh, have a conversation about your breast health, then the GP are provided information um, about what to be, you know, how to manage their patients, mm -hmm. to consider their other risk factors mm -hmm. uh, in, in combination with breast density, and if they do have a, obviously have any kind of breast symptoms or anything like that, but if a family history as well, to then maybe consider supplemental screening, mm -hmm. yeah. um, either through ultrasound, tomosynthesis, um, MRI, and, and so, mm -hmm. um, but those, the problem with supplemental screening is of course that um, they're also prone to quite a lot of false positives, yeah. ultrasound in particular. So you're, by recommending that um, additional test at the woman's own cost yeah. up until this stage, you know, mammography is free, right. uh, you attend your GP and, and refer yeah. for supplemental screening, there will be a fee associated with that. There is a rebate, but um, there's still costs involved. Mm. And then a lot of, if they don't do find something, that's when the, you have breast biopsies, more surgeries, more all more different procedures mm -hmm. that could inevitably um, show nothing in the end. Yeah. Right. So it increases stress and cost and all that kind of yeah. stuff, and, and no real reason for. And yeah. yes, in otherwise well women. So like I said, the, the breast density is quite common. They yeah. estimate that 43% of all screen age women have heterogeneous or extremely dense breasts. Now, right. if all that's almost half the population yeah. of screen age women. Okay, so yeah. if they all, every all those women were referred for ultrasound. Oh my mm. god, that would be that'd be huge exactly. waiting lines. <laughs> yeah, and just the costs involved in that mm. to for at what benefit? Now, mm -hmm. it, the more tests you do, the more cancers you will find. Yes, right. of course. And for ultrasound, it's for every uh, extra thousand, you'll ten thousand, you'll find four mm -hmm. extra mm. cancers. So that's a lot of ultrasounds. Yeah, a lot of extra tests. Um, however, as an individual woman. Um, if you're one of those if four. If I'm one of those four, I'm like, yeah. thank you very much. So yeah. it, it's yeah. really, you know, as an epidemiologist versus uh, as, a, as a woman, mm. it, it's often quite competing yeah. uh, mm. messaging. That is that balancing thing that we do. We all learn about in epidemiology, yeah. you know, with screening things and, um, you know, where, what age groups are most at risk. So is the cost justified and, and that sort of thing? Yeah. yeah, it's very complicated. Yeah, we definitely learn about, like, cost effectiveness and all that kind of stuff just to... Yeah. Make sure we get the whole population, but not spend too much, but not save too many people, but also save enough people. Yeah, it's yeah. a big balancing act. <laughs> so obviously there's a lot of work ongoing in this space and you and your team are involved in that. Mm -hmm. What do we know so far about risk factors for people for breast cancer? Oh yeah, what are the other risk factors? <laughs> um, the A lot of the risk factors are sort of... Uh, I guess around your cumulative exposure, okay? Um, so, in, in, and this is in addition to genetics, okay? So we talked mm -hmm. about the genetics, we know about some of those, there's still quite a bit uh, of work to do in that space. Mm -hmm. um, then there's, you know, from the, uh, you know, age at menarche and age at menopause are, are both, you know, that you want to decrease essentially the time in which you are cycling. So mm -hmm. at a later age, um, of menarche and when you start your periods mm -hmm. um, is associated with a reduced risk of breast cancer. Okay. Uh, earlier age at menopause is associated, you know, so um, mm -hmm. the more kids you have at, at earlier ages and the more, the more you breastfeed, um, 
there's uh, other hormones replacement therapy, for instance, uh, has been shown to increase your breast cancer risk. Um, it increases your breast density as well. Yep. Uh, and that's the, they've been shown that's also a sort of a temporary association. If you um, stop the HRT hormone mm -hmm. replacement therapy, your breast density will go back to normal, and okay. as will your risk. So there um, mm. then there's the opposite. You know, tamoxifen, for instance, is a very common drug to um, to prevent recurrence in women who have had a certain subtype of breast cancer. Um, they've also shown that if tamoxifen will in healthy high-risk women mm -hmm. can reduce uh, your breast cancer risk and it's been shown it reduces your breast density so it okay. is breast density is arguably, arguably modifiable right mm. so if you reduce okay. your breast density by a significant amount then you can reduce your breast cancer risk quite substantially mm. um, the problem is that tamoxifen is, is has it, quite a few associated um, side effects yeah. um, and that it's so it's not uh, it's not a a, a proper solution. Yes. You don't want to so. take it as a preventative. That's, yeah. Well, it, it is recommended by some, depending oh, okay. on the medical oncologist, depending on your risks, and depending yeah. on whether you have yeah. these um, uh, associated. Yeah. Um, if you're in a high risk, risk group, it might be worth the. Yes, the, and if you can put uh, up with the side effects. Yeah. Yeah. So, so just to clarify, mm. on so you talked about obviously years of menstruation, essentially, like mm -hmm. when you start and when you finish. And also having children, how are those things related to your risk of cancer? So, um, <laughs> again, <laughs> I'm a statistician, Craig. Have yeah, I, have yeah. we about <laughs> I guess the main question is: is that the more kids you have, increases so, the risk of cancer? Oh no, or decreases. Decreases, right? Yes. So okay. we should have more kids. You should have oh, more no. kids and at earlier ages. Right. Okay. Yes. And oh, then, and then starting um, menstruation at a an older age and then finishing and, and then going through menopause at a younger age is protective. Is protective as well. Okay, so but these are not things anyone can really control, really. No, like really, no. Uh, <laughs> but, but they do. I'm just going to stop my uh, <laughs> menstruating for a year. Thanks. All right. <laughs> they do sort of, I guess, give you a bit of guidance into what category of risk you might fall into based on when you've gone through them, right? Yeah. Yes, but those are not very common uh, risk factors. We don't measure those when you attend screening. We focus on the big ones like family history, okay. uh, whether or not women are on, on HRT, ovarian yeah. cancer history as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and like I said, the, the, I think in future, uh, assuming it would be great if we could also have a genetic test to, to test mm. because the polygenic risk scores are designed to uh, capture uh, genetic mutations in a lot of genes across that are very mm -hmm. common. So you're not you're not screening for a, a BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation kind of thing, which are quite rare. Mm -hmm. You'd be mm -hmm. screening for uh, this, all these combinations of genetic variants. You use that in addition to their family history and stuff that we're already collecting, uh, height and weight information, uh, which only, again, in breast screen, WA is the only state that does that, and then your breast density. Mm -hmm. um, I think then you'd have quite a bit of uh, power to be able to uh, categorize women into different mm -hmm. categories of risk. And okay. then the question is, but okay, so if you're at high risk and you're at low risk, what are the recommendations that need to be um, yeah, implemented yeah. for that person? Exactly. Yeah. Mm. What should apply? This is a bit of a, a simple question, really. How, how do we collect genetic information on people? So you can, um, obviously you can 
collect a blood sample, uh, but also you could very uh, use a, a buckle swab from the inside of your mm -hmm. cheek. Uh, using a saliva sample. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, so they're getting more uh, advanced in, in how you uh, can do these things. There's uh, Then there's sort of, if you're doing that on a population level as part of a screening program, you have issues about privacy, ethics, mm -hmm. storage, mm -hmm. uh, you know, maintenance and logistics. Uh, so those, those are some real practical issues that also need to, to be addressed. Yeah. And I guess a, a fairly high-profile example of this type of um, knowledge being put into practice, I, I remember a few years ago, Angelina Jolie had a double mastectomy. Mm -hmm. She had never been diagnosed with breast cancer, is my understanding, but she did have one of these genes that you're talking about. Yes, and, yeah. and she had a very strong family history. Right. Yes, so, uh, yeah, it's a fairly invasive decision it was a very high profile case and mm -hmm. yeah and she just she opted for a double mastectomy um again it's a challenge to know what uh to routinely what screening recommendations mm -hmm. i think mri is typically the the uh, modality of choice for for brca1 or brca2 holders um or carriers so yeah it's a uh, lots of options yeah. i feel well, like I wonder what the ongoing effects of that particular case was. Like, yeah. was there an increase in in breast removal or that's something good, like that? Yeah, I reckon there probably good, would be if it question, was a celebrity yeah. that did that. Well, yeah. there was the Kylie effect in, uh, for mammographic screening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when Kylie was diagnosed, yeah, the breast screen true. programs across the country mm. saw a huge mm -hmm. influx, uh, yeah. particularly from younger women. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And would you say that's a good thing to come out of an event like that or would you say that maybe there wasn't too much value in that happening? Well, participation in screening is uh, vital okay. for, for it to, to work. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, I would think uh, increased participation in screening is desperately needed, mm -hmm. um, uh, particularly in some demographics as well, um, culturally and linguistically diverse uh, uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander mm -hmm. women, mm -hmm. um, I mean, the latter in particular, very low participation, mm -hmm. but yet have incredibly high mortality rates. Mm -hmm. Um, so yes, I think uh, I think in terms of messaging and public health messaging, I would encourage all women, um, particularly in the targeted age group between age 15 and 74, to attend breast cancer screening. Uh, breast screening is an amazing program. Um, women in younger women at the age between 40 and 49, if you have a strong family history or any um, again. Mm -hmm. uh, it is free for all those women. Okay. Um, yeah, and just to be breast aware. If you have any concerns or any symptoms whatsoever, obviously make a, an appointment, just consult your GP mm -hmm. and, and get that sorted out. Mm -hmm. Is there a reason why the uh, age group is 50 to 74? Why does it finish at 74, just out of interest? So it was previously 69 uh, up until 20. 14, I think and they mm -hmm. did they did some evidence-based um, analyses to show that there's still benefit in screening women um, longer and I think that it's uh, 69 and 74 is because that's when you would stop getting invited to rescreen okay right uh, so uh, yeah yeah because yeah. uh, okay. you go come every two years so you stop getting your invitations to, right. to yeah. come and there's there. probably some sort of like life expectancy issue there as well because everyone's getting older um and yeah. the survival's getting longer so i yeah, can so see I'm, that 
is well, one of the reasons why it might increase. Well, I'm just wondering why it finishes at 74 was more my question. Why Maybe. is it not 80 or... Yeah, yeah the benefit. They've, uh, presumably, the, the analysis should show that the benefits, once you reach a certain age, also your risk, if you get to a certain age and you haven't developed breast cancer, then your lifetime risk of developing breast cancer is pretty low. It does diminish. Yeah. Right? Yes. Once at a certain point. So, yeah. yeah. And also, like, if you get breast cancer at 80, or it's, like, detected at 80, that doesn't, like, yeah, the, the amount of life gained by going through those surgeries might not be worth it at that mm. point so that like there's the weird like yeah. balance there um but yeah because everyone is living longer they've yeah. increased a lot of those things i think I, I, yeah, yeah look i think it's the same with any major procedure like people getting hips and knees and stuff replaced once you hit a certain age yeah. your chances of recovering and your chances of contracting an infection and whatnot mm. make it not really that worthwhile. Well, the, the point of screening is for early detection to pr yeah. promote, yeah, uh, yeah, um, and at 80 to reduce years old, mortality really and, and yeah. early anymore. <laughs> yeah, going through chemo at eighty probably is. Oh, uh, that sounds horrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you mentioned there, so you sort of touched on social determinants a little bit with the types of groups that might um, experience poorer outcomes in this area. So, who who are the messages? Um, aimed at from policymakers. Um, well, obviously, improving um, life expectancy in the lives of, of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women is a, is a, 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 a huge aspect of, of breast screens priorities. Um, the um, and also increasing participation in culturally and linguistically diverse women. Um, I think the uh, the main message is to in improve the participation rate so that we can um, and to so there's quite a bit of work that goes on in that space. It's actually really really impressive. Um, they have Breast Green has research officers that specifically tar try and target and to improve participation. Um, Western Australia is a massive country mm -hmm. um, geographically, mm -hmm. uh, so they have you know mobile vans, for instance, that will three of them that go around uh, all year and, and to make sure that even women in remote parts yep. of, of Western Australia mm. have access. Uh, that's a huge issue, again, accessing uh, to for women living in very remote mm. areas to have access to the screening. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a, a well-oiled machine to try, and, <laughs> but still, you know, it, it's difficult, I think, um, particularly for women who then, if they do have a mammogram and uh, require further assessment, Giving access to those services um, is also a challenge. So mm. there's lots of challenges to be um, yeah. dealt with regularly, and, and Western Australia is not helped by its very large size. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people living on the edge of the Gibson Desert and you know in the East Kimberley and whatnot, I can imagine there's a lot of remote communities that are not large communities, but obviously half of the population presumably are women, and a certain percentage of those are going to be in these you know, age groups, aren't they? Yeah, and they're, they're, again, they have, uh, Breast Green has a, uh, an Aboriginal project officer um, and who, and then again, the idea is to sort of go into these communities and do like large group bookings. So whereas, mm -hmm. and to make sure that, you know, there's uh, interpreters and community workers there to sort of support that community and, um, and, and make sure that they go back there every two years. Yeah. So okay. it's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I've sort of did a little bit of reading of your profile and I noticed that the consumer involvement is mm -hmm. quite a big part of what you do. Do you just want to tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, well, um, wow. So I had this amazing experience, uh, gosh, about six years ago now. So I organized a consumer consultation, um, organized through the WA Community and Consumer Health. Research, Research Network. Network. I think they have a different name now. They do. I think it's called Involving <laughs> Consumers or something. They're the ones that Telethon Kids Institute, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, affiliated here with the school. They also have someone health. who comes in Absolutely. here. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and they were fantastic. So they helped me identify eight women to, um, and we sat around a table to just sort of assess the knowledge and awareness of breast density and what they knew and and um, the idea the the research question was to develop a, a survey uh, of all women who attend breast screen WA and so we needed to come up with sort of to identify the research domains that we wanted to target mm -hmm. and uh, it, like I said it, it was incredibly eye-opening so we had some women who you know who were like um, Oh, I have really large breasts. I must have dense breasts. Oh, I've got really small breasts. Mine must be dense. Uh, uh, oh, so one woman who received the dense breast notification letter from Breast Screen WA and said, oh, I saw that letter. And I chucked it in the bin. And another woman <laughs> who's sort of like, I didn't get a letter. Should I get a letter? Yeah. You know, like uh, it was, yeah. um, another woman, you know, who've gone through breast cancer and, you know, to share their experiences. And other women who are sort of like, well, not all women can afford ultrasounds. Not all mm. women have access to ultrasound. You know, mm. so it was just uh, absolutely brilliant. And mm. so that then formulated... Um, these uh, research domains in which we developed into the questionnaire and then we, um, uh, through more and more consumer engagement, uh, that we, uh, I'm also sit on the Breast Screen Consumer Advisory Council as well, which is an amazing group of ladies who they essentially review all materials that are um, distributed to any mm -hmm. um, breast screen participants. And, um, so we administered this survey, and I don't know about you, but I get requested to do surveys every other day and yeah. promptly hit delete. We, um, we got over 7,000 women, uh, no, just under 7,000 women, sorry, respond to our survey wow. in, in less than six months. That's great. That had about a 23% response rate, yeah, which okay. I think is tremendous. Solid, we were hoping yeah. for 10. Yeah. Um, and that has just been uh, an amazing body of evidence to... to, to help inform um, breast screen policy, here, uh, not just in WA, but nationally as well. Mm -hmm. And yes, women want to know their breast density. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there's not a, they do feel informed by knowing their breast density, but there is, yes, you know, 20% of women did identify as feeling anxious about their breast density. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was, a lot of those women also had combinations of risk factors yeah, um, with strong family histories and so on and so forth. Other women, you know, 20% of women also reported feeling confused, and I don't blame them. It's a very confusing thing. Yeah. Um, so because you're told you have dense breasts, but then, okay, what do I do next? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's Why not, do I need to know this information? Mm, yes, yeah. it's, not a, it's not a clean cut response. No. So yeah. messaging is very difficult. Yeah, because it really does put a lot of the burden, if you like, or the, the onus on the GPs, doesn't it? Does, it? The way yes. the messaging is. Yes. So. And, and I'm assuming not every GP is an expert in 
breast Absolutely. health. Absolutely. Know? So uh, Breast Screen does a great job. They try and um, they've got obviously lots of information on their website. They, you know, uh, every woman who attends, uh, if they nominate their GP, a copy of their results letter also goes to their GP along with some information. If they're told if dense breast, they get additional information. Um, they do run regular education sessions for GPs and they have a GP liaison officer. So if they have any sort of questions. Um, I'm also in the process of trying to write a grant application to um, to engage GPs to assess their knowledge and awareness mm. and what they do with with that information, how they source their information and what they do with it, and hopefully mm. identify some actionable um, areas where we could improve um, the information for GPs and help them do their thing. Mm. Um, and back to the consumer thing as well, this, that work also then led us to start we established, uh, again, through the CCHRN, uh, a national breast density consumer advisory council. Mm -hmm. So we okay. have representation from uh, every state. Uh, and uh, we meet, well, we're supposed to meet face-to-face -face once a year, but COVID hasn't allowed that. But mm -hmm. we uh, have virtual meetings quarterly. And they've been uh, absolutely, again, fantastic in terms of just this sort of consumer advocacy moment. Um, mm -hmm. Consumer advocacy in Australia, definitely in WA, I think is quite strong. Mm -hmm. um, not as uh, nothing on the scale of, of America and the United States, where they have the Are You Dense campaign. Okay. Uh, this was essentially established by one <laughs> woman, Nancy Capello, although she was a force to be reckoned with. Um, She's unfortunately no longer with us, but she mm. uh, was re receiving routine mammography, um, got the all clear, and then I, within before her next mammogram, found something, had it investigated, and mm -hmm. sure enough, it was uh, quite a, an aggressive and late-stage tumor. Mm -hmm. mm. And she looked at her doctors and sort of said, you know, I've been doing everything right. How did this happen? And they're like, oh, well, it's not that surprising. You have dense breasts. And she right. was like, what do you mean I have dense breasts? No one told me I had dense breasts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so then she uh, single-handedly was responsible for the state of Connecticut changing their legislation so that all women, it's mandated now, all women must be notified of their breast density. Wow. Mm. So, and that has then resonated across the whole country and 38 states yep. have... Wow some form of legislation and okay. there's now national um, legislation so the FDA is currently working on language mm -hmm. so that it's consistent across the whole country what yep. to tell women about breast density and how does this work what age are they I guess measured for their breast density well it's very different in the United States um, mm. because it's um, private healthcare mostly so yeah. any, they want. any woman can go and get a mammogram at any age at any age okay and yeah. it, so you say it's been legislated that it's mandatory that if you have a mammogram okay they already have the infrastructure in place they, they have a clinical assessment of breast density called BIRADS it's four categories uh, mm. the first category is um, mostly fat and it's scattered density third category is heterogeneously dense and the fourth category is extremely dense okay. and anyone who has the, the upper two categories the heterogeneously or the in, uh, extensively dense or extremely dense are considered dense breasts which mm. is dichotomous um, mm -hmm. not ideal your, right. your breast yeah. density is it's on the spectrum and so that's a whole other yeah, whole area. <laughs> that's a lot yeah. of my research as well is is trying to find the best way of measuring breast density. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so they have this clinical assessment, and that it's that's part of routine mammography. There is for that assessment to be done. That infrastructure is not it doesn't exist 
um, in Australia. So right. that's not naturally done. Okay. Um, so before to facilitate some form of uh, breast density notification or reporting in Australia, that would have to be changed first. So um, there are now automated um, FDA-approved software uh, mm -hmm. uh, that will measure breast density mm -hmm. using either these four categories or on uh, a continuum. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's obviously a cost associated with that, but it is sure. a reliable um, measurement mm -hmm. that can be used. Um, but again, then the next question is, what do you do with that information? Yeah. Yeah. Particularly on the, on the spectrum, if I tell you that your breast density is 13, yeah. you'd be like, okay, sure. so what? All right. yeah. So, what so some of it, mm. the work that we're trying to do is put that into context. So yeah. your breast density is 13. That, put, that puts you on a, an, a, the X percentile for other women your age. And that's yeah. why it's very important to compare your density to other women your mm. age. Uh, because, of course, it decreases with age. Mm. Mm. So that's, again, more research that we're also trying to, to delve into that space yeah. as well, to put it in, in, in context. Yeah, interesting. Hi, we hope you're enjoying this episode of The Meaning of Health. Just a quick reminder that you can email us at meaningofhealth@outlook.com or tweet us at healthmeanswhat. And if you have a minute and you've enjoyed listening to this episode or any of the other episodes, it'd be great if you could go and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It helps other people find us. Now back to the show. In Australia, have we adopted that classification system at all? Do you know? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it exists, yeah. right. right? But it's not recorded. So breast density is not recorded okay. uh, as a BIRADS classification. Yeah. Even here in WA, it is a, uh, it's almost like it's more dichotomous. It's a flag where a radiologist would flag uh, a woman's screening assessment as being dense or not dense. Okay. And that flag then generates the information to, that would go into her routine results letter. Right. Okay. So for, for West Australian women, it's a yes or no. Yes. And that's it. Yeah. Okay. And what's your view on that with, with the knowledge you have? Do you think it's something that would be beneficial for us to think about? I think there's obviously considerable room for improvement. Mm -hmm. uh, like I imagine particularly with the risk prediction models, you know, if we had a, a, a continuous variable, yep. that would be much more powerful mm -hmm. um, statistically in particular that to be able... To, but then you need thresholds. You need cutoff points saying, okay, if your density is above this level, then uh, you should receive supplemental screening. Or you, if it's below this level and you've got no other risk factors, perhaps you don't need to be screened yeah. as often. Yeah. You know, right now we have this one mm. size fits all. Every, all women get screened every two years. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done in the measurement side of things. Of course, with the introduction of AI-based yeah. methods. Um, <laughs> There's all sorts of going on. So that's the, the AI stuff is happening in the detection space, mm. um, just to be able to uh, do the job of a radiologist, essentially, okay. right? Find a cancer. Um, and then possibly have that improved as well, particularly with dense breasts. Well, what we're trying to do is trying to predict who's going to get cancer. Ah, so we're looking yeah. at mammograms, yeah. uh, the mammograms before they were diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Right. Is there something in there that in indicates? Because that's what breast density does, right? Yeah. It, 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 yeah. It's been shown that breast density measured in mammograms can predict breast cancer eight years later. Right. Okay. It's, it's not, it's, yeah, it's just, and it's just a, it's a continuous measure. It's not a yes, no. It's a, so yeah. it's really. It's really interesting. Um, I, I'm curious, is it just a, a photographic kind of image 
that you're analysing or is there other information collected during a mammogram? So a mammogram is essentially a, a two-dimensional um, image of a three-dimensional object. Yeah. But um, digital mammography is now allows volumetric measurements okay. of breast density and this commercially available mm. software that I told you does a, a volumetric measure instead of yep. all a lot of the previous research has just been using an area-based measure um, the AI stuff ignores density altogether it's just using the all the information there is in a mammogram mm -hmm. everything uh, mm -hmm. to predict who's going to get cancer and who doesn't so it's and it's a combination of risk factors, a combination of this pixel and that texture and that, you know, that sort of right. thing. Um, because there is, there is other sort of texture-based me methods that uh, said, well, is it really the amount of breast density or is it how it looks on mm. the mammogram, right? right? So the issue with the AI-based measure, yes, so I think in terms of risk prediction, risk gratification, personalized um, screening is yes it'll be able to identify women at increased risk but it doesn't solve the um reduced sensitivity yeah issue which mm -hmm. and they're they're both um they're not mutually exclusive they both so you yes the tense uh, the dense tissue increases the propensity for the tumors develop and it also prevents you from being able to see it mm. Mm -hmm. so if you have an ai-based measure that predicts risk you don't actually know what it's doing we can't do what's the biology of an ai based measure yeah. whereas we can study the biology of breast dense tissue mm. um mm. to figure out what it is why cancers develop in it and also then trying to reduce it so that you can uh improve the sensitivity as well as reduce yeah. the likelihood of the tumor so to develop. these things all get combined to run millions of processes to work you know really work out what it is that's going on yeah so yeah. i think the for the ai work whether or not you're predicting screen detected cancers or you're trying to detect interval cancers mm -hmm. and again that's another, another uh, if you're yeah so that's how we uh, from an epidemiological design point that's how we can differentiate um yeah. okay the two areas mm. i think it's a, a great example of where because you know how like a lot of people argue that AI is going to take over all of our jobs and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I think it's a great example of where it really doesn't. It's, it's complementary. It, it needs to be guided, doesn't it? It needs to be guided. Yeah. There's other information that mm. needs to be known in order to put those processes in place That's and right. continuously checked. Yeah, absolutely. And there's also a lot of much more collaboration is needed between mm. the AI's uh, experts and the epidemiologists. Yeah. Mm. Um, to give you sort of a, a, an example, um, there was a, a paper that showed that, that they could det um, predict, not not predict breast cancer, but detect cancers. Oh, I can't remember. Apologies, I'm going to get this all wrong. But, um, <laughs> but they showed they have that they have a, a, an AI-based measure that strongly predicts breast cancer risk. Let's mm -hmm. pretend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but they didn't adjust for age. No, okay. no. So um, what their AI measure was actually doing was finding older people because older people yep. get cancer. Yeah. <laughs> so Much higher risk. Oh, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, having that clinical input be like, hang on a second. It's but so they, they argue that, it's, that it, you shouldn't have to, right? That you should just be able to use the information in a mammogram and predict who's going to get disease and who's not. Yeah. But it, it's... Well, you can yeah. tell them. You don't mm. need the, we don't need a machine for that. I can tell you this person here is 20 years old is more likely. More likely, yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so if you're looking yeah. at, you know, the AUCs and things, it has to be improved from what you already know, mm. not from... Baseline. baseline yeah absolutely yeah, yeah mm. so we're probably getting towards the end of our conversation jennifer 
Um, but yeah, just in summary, it sounds like you're really involved in you know the, the genetic side of things. You're involved in the messaging and the health promotion side of things, and also in um, detection, the and, measurement, and yes. the measurement. Mm. So it sounds like you've got a foot in all those camps. Yeah, absolutely. Like <laughs> all, all of my research is is just accumulating evidence to support the clinical use of breast density mm. yeah. to improve breast cancer screening outcomes. Yes. And what do you have happening at the moment and, and in the future? What have you got planned? One thing we haven't talked about is uh, we're, we've recently just finished up our, uh, I touched on it lightly, the transillumination breast spectroscopy, which we're mm -hmm. changing the name because it's much more calling <laughs> <It's laughs> out yeah. yeah. <laughs> optical breast spectroscopy. Yeah. Okay, okay, so this is a tool that is measuring uh, breast density is not diagnostic in yep. any way. It okay. uses light, so it's a, like a cup is just sort of held over the breast um, for less than a minute. It uh, shines lasers through and just measures breast tissue composition that way. Now, um, it's still a medical prototype. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, yeah, so, but it's exciting in terms of research because it allows us to look at not just um, black and white, but also breast tissue. And, um, and it's because it's completely safe, Mm. we can use it uh, to measure breast density in younger women. So that's what we've oh, okay. done. We've yeah. found these women between 18 and 40, where the, these women are not eligible for mammography, so that we do not know anything about their breast density. Mm -hmm. There's been a couple of MRI studies. Uh, our colleagues in, um, formerly in, from uh, San Francisco, they've developed uh, or adapted DEXA, uh, which are usually measured bone density and body composition, mm -hmm. to also measure breast density. So we have these OBS measures, uh, and these DEXA breast density measures on these young women. Mm -hmm. And the idea is, uh, with a lot more future research, but to first of all, to get an idea of what breast density looks like in, in younger women, um, but also trying to monitor change in breast density. And like I said before, that there's, you know, tamoxifen can reduce mm -hmm. your breast density. So mm -hmm. you could use this as a tool to, to see if the tamoxifen was working. Mm -hmm. uh, or, and hopefully in future there'll be less invasive um, interventions that yep. could, again, you could uh, do a sort of a clinical trial and where some women get the treatment and some women don't. And then you monitor their breast density over time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to see whether or not it uh, has any effect. And ideally you want to be doing that in younger women, not necessarily older women because uh, mm -hmm. the, the sooner you intervene and, and the sooner you can reduce your breast density then the less chance you have of developing and the more chance you're going to have of seeing it if it yeah. does yeah. so um, we're just in the last stages of this study um, in, in collaboration with the RAIN study hundreds uh, now thousands of women now with these measures and combinations of measures and we're trying to uh, identify the determinants come, uh, of, of breast density in younger women, establish what the distribution is, come up with like an age centile approach, like I talked about what your breast density is for your age, mm -hmm. um, the genetic variance, um, changes over time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's just a, hopefully it will inform a whole other uh, area of uh, research in, in younger women, which yeah. we know nothing about at this stage. Yeah, it seems like a pretty obvious gap at the moment, doesn't mm. it? Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. yeah, very interesting. Well, yeah, that's been a really great conversation. Hopefully it wasn't too painful for you. No, it was surprisingly <laughs> um, nice. Yeah. Good, yeah. yeah. yeah no, no. Very, thank you very much for coming yeah, on. Appreciate yeah, it's been really good. Thank you the time. And yeah, yeah, we look forward to hearing a bit more and seeing a bit more about what your group's doing in the future. Thank you very mm. much. Thank you.
was our conversation with Jennifer Stone. Oh, that was good. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation. I didn't realise that breast density was like a massive deal. I had no idea. Yeah, it seems to be, yeah, a, a complex kind of thing because it yeah. needs to be understood well and, and patterns of breast density seem to differ and indicate different types of risk and whatnot. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. It'd be cool. Obviously, I'm not within the age group for screening yet, but it'd be cool if you actually got the images so you could actually have a look yourself. But I don't know whether yeah. that, like, I think that might just be my opinion. I would be interested in it. I'm not sure if everyone else would be. Yeah. Interest, um, yeah and interesting. interesting to hear the different approach in America where people, by law, have to be told what their yeah. breast density is when they get measured. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, very interesting. So, and the and the systems they've got in place for that. Yeah, um, and that's that's probably fueled by like, obviously, all of the health uh, stuff in the US is private and all this kind of stuff. So they'd have a lot of money going into the tech. We, we, yeah, as well. There's the money is probably the single biggest difference in money yeah. and profit over there. Obviously, it's a profit driven system, whereas mm. ours is a public health type system is yeah you know uni- um, medicare is universal yeah and you got to provide it to everyone rather yeah. than you know the wealthy yeah uh. <laughs> um and, and often where there's commercial incentives you know that drives innovation and mm. you know a, a desire to reduce costs and yeah. improve outcomes and, and whatnot so, so must have happened yeah there. i think over time yeah. yeah, and it, it, as it is one of the major cancers, obviously they've put a lot of resources into it, and, and we have here as well. Oh, absolutely. It's just manifested yeah. differently, and it seems like WA might be leading the pack yeah. in how we manage it. Well, hey, look yeah. at that. <laughs> Which it was re- I was really interested to hear how we handle some of the Indigenous people in the remote communities. Mm, mm-hmm. um, I didn't realise there was a van that drives yeah. around. That's really cool. Also, that would be a super fun job. Yeah. I think that would be, yeah. Good I'm fun. sure it's quite rewarding work. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, being educators as well as uh, providing a, a service, yeah, yeah a medical yeah. service. I do wonder how many people, are, like what the uptake is for those vans. It would be interesting to, to see some numbers. Yeah, um, yeah. But I'm sure that work's being done. Yeah, and, oh, it'd have to be, right? I would absolutely. put a bet on Jennifer somehow being involved in it. Yeah. She seems to be quite active in this space, as yeah. you heard, a few different areas that she's mm. involved in so yeah really interesting i hope you guys enjoyed the conversation yeah yeah i mean i'm sure that we could talk <laughs> yeah. about it for a yeah. while but we, yeah. we, we clearly did <laughs> yeah um but yeah as usual you can contact us at meaning of health at outlook.com and tweet us at, at health means what so yep. please contact us we would love to hear from everyone yeah um if you've got any ideas or Oh, just want to say hi. Yeah, if you, enjoy, if you enjoyed an episode or, yeah, this one we haven't done yet that you want to hear, yeah, yeah, please absolutely. let us know. But thanks very much for listening and we'll be back with you soon. The Meaning of Health podcast is produced with the support of the School of Population and Global Health and the Education Enhancement Unit at the University of Western Australia. The podcast is produced by Craig Cumming and Courtney Webber with music by Craig Cumming.